Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, I've chosen an episode in honor of Father's Day, My Son John from Quiet Please. Quiet Please was the brainchild of radio and screenwriter Willis Cooper, creator of another legendary radio series, Lights Out. Quiet Please debuted on the Mutual Broadcasting Network on June 8, 1947. In September of 1948, the series switched to ABC and remained there until its final broadcast on June 25, 1949. In total, 106 episodes were made, every one of them written by Willis Cooper. Quiet Please is often categorized as horror, probably due to Cooper's roots in the genre, but as the author of a May 1949 article from Writer's Digest points out, there is no formula or pattern to Quiet Please other than that it is always narrated in the first person by Ernest Chappell and has an eerie, slow-paced mood. Sometimes it's macabre, sometimes hilarious, but always entertaining. The same article reported that ABC received more listener requests for copies of Quiet Please scripts than for any other show. And now, My Son John from Quiet Please, originally broadcast November 28, 1948. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Quiet Please. Quiet Please. American Broadcasting Company presents Quiet, Please. This is written and directed by Willis Cooper, and this features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for today is called My Son, John. Shakespeare, King Henry IV, Part One, Act Three, Scene One. Owen Glendower, the Welsh warrior, says, I can call spirits from the vasty deep. And Hospital replies to him, Why, so can I, or so can any man. But will they come when you do call? They come when I call. I tried it only once, though. I don't think I shall try it again. Well, there's nothing to be afraid. It's still light outside. Sunset was only two minutes ago at 4.31. There's nothing to be afraid while there's still light. But later, we'll come to that. It was a year ago last Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, that my son John died. I'm a very lonely man. Some of my contemporaries insist that I'm a very hard man. Perhaps I am. But in my own defense, let me say that my hardness is possibly engendered by the fact that I've been so embittered and lonely for so very long. 
My wife, whom I love very greatly, died three months after my son John was born. For a long time, I lived with my son John alone, except for the necessary servants, medical attendants, and the like. I saw none of my friends. I allowed my business affairs to drift into the hands of my associates. I refused to see my friends. And gradually, my friends fell away from me. I lived for all those years almost to recluse. But my son John was a joy to me. I denied him nothing. He had friends. He loved life. And he lived it to the utmost. When the war came, my son John was much too young for service. The fact that irked him tremendously. And he exacted a promise from me that should the war still be going on, he would enter the service on his 18th birthday. Well, his 18th birthday was two years ago. And though my heart was wrung at the thought I allowed him to enlist in the army, gave him my blessing. And I could deny him nothing, not even this. And I hoped hard that he would not be sent overseas. But my hopes came to nothing, for within eight months he was sent to Austria. And scant four months later, my son John was dead. I shall not try to describe to you my grief. It is overpowering. Let me simply say I was inconsolable. I had never forgotten my wife, my beautiful, beloved wife, who had died and left me with a taste of ashes in my mouth. But she had left me, my son John, as a consolation. Now my son John was dead. And there was nothing left to console me. It's not surprising, I think, that I turned to the account for relief. There was a woman, let her be nameless, she too is dead now. She was a very wise woman, skilled in things beyond the comprehension of the material world. I sat with her many nights in this very room, speaking to her of my love for my son John, and of my unutterable loneliness. And then I came and I said to her, listen. Listen, I said, can my son John, is there a way to call him back to me? I have been treated very unfairly by life, I think. I have been robbed of the only two treasures that life gave to me. First, my wife, now my son. I have tried to reach into the other world to have your son speak to you through me. Why haven't you succeeded? Perhaps you do not believe in me. Yes, I think I believe. You must believe completely. I cannot succeed. I tell you, I do believe. Yes? Yes, I think you do. Well, then... What? Then what other reason can there be for not reaching him? You say you don't know how he died. No. It's very strange. That's so strange. I don't want to know how he died. I don't understand. Didn't the government... I had a letter that told me that my son died, that they would send me the tales of his death. When that letter came, I tore it up without opening. I didn't want to know the details. But you've been right now to send the details again. Uh, I mean, you can explain. No, I don't want to know how he died. There's not much I can do, then. You know where he's buried? No. I would have to know that, I'm afraid. That can be the only explanation of why I have not been able to reach him. Isn't there any other way? It would be easier if you write and find out. No. No, I will not do that. Then... No other way. There's a way to do anything. And... It's dangerous for one who is not in a death. You're in a death, aren't you? I am. But you're not. 
What do you mean by that? I don't... You are the only one who can do it. I... I can do it? Yes. How? How, then? Listen to me. I can teach you. I can teach you to call up your son in a way that will bring him to you. Teach me, then. Now? You may live to regret No, 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 no. Teach me how to bring my son back. I'll pay you up. I'll make you rich for life. I... There's no need for pay. I have my own ways of becoming as rich as I desire. Then tell me how. You may bring about your own destruction. I don't care. Let me have just a little time with my son again and... Anything can happen. I have warned you. By giving your hands and Did, uh, were you... Uh, I mean, did the guard... Oh, no. 
No, I was in a part of the country where I wasn't supposed to be, of course, but everyone was very kind to me. Well, what? I was walking along a mountain road early in the evening. I didn't know exactly where I was. Then I saw the lights of a big house a mile or so ahead of me. And I decided to stop there and see if they could put me up for the night. Did they? No. Just as I turned into the driveway that led up to the house, a, a dog came running out from the shrubbery. Before I knew what was happening, I'd been knocked down and the, the dog was at my throat. Oh, John, oh, horrible. In the morning, I woke up lying by the side of the road. I was pretty weak. And I tried to crawl out, hoping somebody in the house would come out and help me. I couldn't see the house. The thing had dragged you away. And after a while, I felt strong enough to stand up. And I staggered down the road. And a couple of Russian soldiers in a jeep picked me up. And somehow or other, I got back to where I was stationed. My poor boy. But now, John, and I died two days later. Then I woke up in the house. The big house I'd seen when the dog attacked me. And I was lying on a couch. And the dog... It wasn't a dog, Father. It was a wolf. The wolf was sitting alongside me, talking to me. So I stayed with him all the time, except at night, until you called me. John, weren't you... I mean, didn't you... Didn't they tell you in the letter, Father, that my body disappeared? I didn't read the letter. You should have. Perhaps you wouldn't have done this thing. Because now, now I can't be dead. Unless, unless, well, there's a way. But you, something I can do, you mean? Yes, tell me, John. Tell me so that I, I mean, if there's something that I might do inadvertently, something I might do without thinking, I, 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 I'd want to know, so I wouldn't do it. No, Father, this is something you can't do inadvertently. Are you sure? Yes. Yes, I'm sure. Do you want to tell me more? So we can... It's been so long, John. We can do so many things together. Shall I turn on the light now? Have, have you got used to being back? You'll have to turn them on eventually, won't you? Of course, I can't see you in the dark. I can see you. You can? You haven't changed much. I'm... Thinner? I've changed. I suppose you have, but... Will you turn on the light, John? I can't get up this thing. The shock of your death, you know. I had a little stroke. I'm sorry about that. But now you're back. Maybe it'll be better. Oh, John, it's so good you're back again. Turn on the light. Please? Well, shut your eyes. You can open them after I've turned on the light, when I tell you. All right. Keep them closed. Now, open them. I opened my eyes, and I didn't believe what I saw. For my son John was not in the room with me. But a great, light gray wolf stood inside my chair, stared at me curiously with the eyes of my son John. I can call spirits from the vastly deep. I said to myself over and over again, I can call spirits. She warned me against it, I said to myself. She warned me, and I did it. But my son, John, I thought. My son, John. 
and I spoke the words aloud. My son, John. And the wolf came over to me and laid a paw on my knee and spoke. I'm sorry, Father. I told you I wished you hadn't done it. Are you... Are you John? Of course I am. Would I ever see you as you were? No, never. You see, Father, she told you how to do it. I had pity on you. I wouldn't come when she called me, because I was afraid of justice. I heard her talking to me, but I didn't answer, because I wanted to spare you this, Father. I'm... I'm glad I did it. Oh, I'm welcome home, no matter what shape you're in. You see, Father, there's a catch in everything. Most of the things you've heard about, superstitions, old beliefs, all that, most of them are true. But what people don't know is that there's, there's always a catch. It's much better not to meddle, Father. I'm not sorry, John. It would be much better if you hadn't done it, Father. I love my son, John. I love you a great deal, Father. I loved you enough to make myself stay where I was until you made me come here. What can I do for you, son? Nothing, Father. There must be something good. When you are alive, aren't you? Well, I mean, would you like something to eat, perhaps? No, not anything. Well, I came as a wolf because I was more used to being a wolf than anything else. You mean you can here? I can change myself into almost anything. That's one of the things he taught me. A bird, or a bat, or a cat, or a bee. Who is he? Well, you've heard of him. No. Most people think that Bram Stoker invented him. But he's fiction. But he isn't. Bram Stoker invented him. Of course. He wrote a book once. A book called Dracula. You see, Father... We exist. There are thousands of us on the earth. More than anybody has any idea. And we're all alike. We're not alive. And we're not dead. And there are more and more of us every year. Because when someone dies, I mean when one of us finally kills a person, that person becomes one of us too. And it's not bad, Father. It's not bad at all. Did you ever hunt? Well, we hunt. We hunt the greatest game of all mankind. Ah, I can tell you. Not. Yes, Father. Tom, now that you're here, here in New York, I mean, will you... I mean, will you hunt here, too? How else can I exist, Father? Tom, no. I'm sorry, Father, but that's the way it is. What have I done? You have plenty of warning. Then... Go back where you came from. No, I can't. I'll be with you forever, Father, until you die. No. He warned you, remember? Well, won't you change yourself into your own shape then, at least? That's the one shape I can't assume. It's one of the catches I told you about. Oh, I'm sorry, Father, but even if I could, I, I don't think you'd want to see me. Before you put this spell on me, I could have shown my own shape whenever I wanted to. And I remember, people didn't like it. Screamed and ran. But I always caught the home. I'm sorry, Father. You brought it on yourself. If you'd let well enough alone, I'd never have bothered you. 
I'd have stayed there with Dracula. Well, that's the way it is. No, 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 I'm sorry, Father. I've got to leave you for a while. Where are you going? Why, I'm going hunting. No. No. Sorry, Father. I'll be back. I'll always come back, Father, so don't worry about me. And before my eyes, the mean gray wolf vanished. And I heard a fluttering sound. And a huge black bat was flying out the open door. my son, John, in numb horror for so long. I grew accustomed to finding a black dog gnawing away all day long in that corner over there and lazily waking up as darkness began to fall. I learned not to disturb the sparrow that slumbered through the daylight hours on the top of the bookcase there. Sometimes it was that same gray wolf lying there under the window from sunrise to sunset, growling a little in his sleep. Yawning widely as he awoke, his red mouth and cruel long fangs gleaming in the lamplight. Oh, my son John was very discreet. It's a long time before I began to notice in the papers the stories of lonely people about the city and suburbs being attacked by a ferocious great gray dog or clawed by a huge tomcat. But the stories appeared from time to time, and I knew. John spent less and less time with me in the nighttime, although he was always there asleep during the day. And slowly, a, a conviction grew within me. A conviction that I... I, the bereaved father, and I, with the best intentions of a disordered mind, I was responsible for these murderous attacks. For had I not summoned back to my side this, this ravening horror that was my son, John? woman who had taught me to spell came to see me. The gray wolf was asleep beside the radiator, twitching, growling from time to time. When she came. I expected you to call me long before this. I was trying to decide to prove something. Well, did you succeed? Yes, I succeeded. Your son came back? Yes. Where is he? There. On the floor asleep. Oh? I see. You warned me. Yes, I warned you. Do you know what he is? Yes, of course, a vampire. He says he can't be killed. So? You've been reading about the attacks on the princess. I know about them, yes. What can I do? He says he cannot die? He said that. Oh, he said there was a way, but I wouldn't do it. Don't you know the way? Of course not. Did you ever read Dracula? No. I see. Well, probably you wouldn't do it. What is it? Your own son whom you loved. No. No. You do it. Not us. Not I. I gave you the choice. I can protect myself against vampires. I have nothing to fear. But these other people, the ones... I'm not concerned with them. But you are. Oh, I've done a terrible thing. Tell me what to do. Do you think you can do it? I will do it. You will drive a wooden stick through his heart while he is asleep. Oh, John. Oh, John, my son. And in his sleep, the great John.
constables that was my son John stared uneasily and muttered to his cream as he went away from there. I reeled myself over to the bookcase. Surely I remember the copy of dropped over there. And after a while I found it, sat down to read it to find out how to kill a vampire. I found it. I read the details of what the good doctor and his friend did to the sleeping vampire in their coffin. I sat a long time staring at my son John. Until he stared and I hastily put away the book and wheeled myself back to my desk as he awoke. He wagged his tail as he stretched and got up. He went to the door. Hunting again, I said. And hunting again, he said, he went away. Then I got to the telephone and I called up a man I know. And after a while he brought me, not without water, but a hatchet and a heavy butcher knife and a great sack of garlic. And I sent him away and lay down to wait till dawn till my son John should appear again and lie down to his last sleep. But it was only three o'clock in the morning when I heard the patter of feet in the hallway and in a moment the door opened quietly and a little white alien dropped in and jumped up on my bed. My son John was home early. Well, Father? Yes, I... I wasn't asleep this afternoon. I heard what she told you to do. I watched you go to the bookcase and get that book and read it. John, you were reading How to Kill Me. Well, John, I... Well, you remember she said she knew how to protect herself against vampires. Yes. She didn't. John, what? She won't bother me anymore. What did you do? I killed her. Oh, no. I was a lion, and I clawed her, and I bit her. Now she's one of them. And she's sorry she told you how to kill me. Aren't she good? Of course, darling. And I looked. And a tiny white cat sat on the foot of my bed, washing her face demurely with an elegant paw. And I reached for my son's throat, and the little cat sprang at me with a wild yell. And my son John pushed her away. He sat there for a moment, laughing at me. And then he settled down beside me. And he said, Father... And I listened, and listened, and listened. And once in a while, she put in a word, too. And as the night wore on with John's stories of the greatest of all hunts in my ears, and the thoughts of never dying, and let... And John seemed to read my thoughts. But I jumped off the bed and trotted to the place where I'd hidden the knife and the hatchet and the other thing. And then in a minute, a great... Paul Gorilla came back in my room with the things and he laughed, opened the window with his great hands and threw them out. And then he turned around to me, did something, and he was a little female again. He jumped up on the bed beside me and whispered in my ear, Come on, Father. What about it? And I said, Well, at least I'll be with my son forever and ever. And it sounds like a better life than sitting in a wheelchair and feeling guilty. And I said, do you feel guilty, son John? Not at all. Do you? Of course not. Well then, will it hurt much? It hurt for a moment when I felt those sharp little teeth in my throat, but it was over very quickly and I thought... I ought to be a dog, too. 
And I felt something funny. She and John laughed. There I was, a, there I was, a big, flavoring Great Dane. And I said, why, this isn't bad at all, is it? <laughs> and we laughed and laughed and laughed. Because now, now I've got my son John back. And we'll be together forever. <laughs> but really forever. And I've discovered that hunting is really fine. Maybe my son John and I will come hunting you sometime. Today's Quiet Please story was My Son John. It was written and directed by Willis Cooper. And the man who spoke to you was Ernest Chappell. And Warren Stevens played John. The woman was Kathleen Cordell. Music for Quiet Please, as usual, was played by Albert Brennan. Now for the word about next week, here's our writer-director, Willis Cooper. Thank you for listening to Quiet Please. For next week, I have a story for you called... Very unimportant person. And so until next week at the same time. I am quietly yours, Ernest Chapel. And now, a listening reminder. Three signet rings are the clues left in the mysterious disappearance of three men. You can learn what happens when David Harding Counterspy investigates the case of the three-ring murder this evening on your ABC station. It's ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. That was Quiet, Please, here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was the episode titled Fa- uh, My Son John. I almost had Father's Day. <laughs> we did it in honor of Father's Day. My son, John, uh, which was picked by Joshua. So let's just start with, we have established on this podcast that we love Quiet, Please. We love mm-hmm. Ernest Chapel. We like Willis Cooper a lot. Uh, this show has a lot of accolade and a lot of them are missing and we don't get to hear all of them, but we know it's good, right? So I think that it's fair to say that Quiet, Please now on this podcast is being judged against itself instead of against other old-time radio. Why did you... You can't really put it in the ring with, like, the Hermit's K. No. (laughs) (laughs) Ding, ding, winner. (laughs) It's like, uncle, uncle. (laughs) No mas. Roberto Duran throw the Hermit's dogs in the ring with quiet pleasures. You still lose. (laughs) So uh, how many are left? (laughs) Because <laughs> I know that oh, there aren't a lot of no, them. No, most c- of them exist. They just exist in poor quality. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. How many of them are understand? Are all of them listenable, I guess? Depends how <laughs> hardcore of a nerd right. you are. But um, the more old-time radio I listen to, the more listenable they become. Yes, I think you acclimate it. to the static yes. and crackle. And there is a great uh, website, quietpleaseithink.org, where a lot of fans have transcribed scripts. So you can also do a little read along <laughs> as you're listening if you need a little clarity and help which i did for this one because uh your link was to that website which had the script and uh it helped greatly to read along mm-hmm. with it because i was uh getting lost in quality 
issues. And uh, I think, and this is a pretty solid. It is sound comparatively. Issue. But that also has to do with me being old <laughs> and headphones cranked all the way up, and I'm still. What are you saying? What? What? His son's a vampire. What? (laughs) Go back. I thought he was a werewolf. What? (laughs) So uh, why did you pick this one out of Uh, all the quiet please? I like this one a lot. And then every so often when I think about it and realize there's a holiday in a week before we're recording something, I go, "Uh, can I just somehow make a tenuous connection (laughs) with said holiday? Uh, And so when I thought about Father's Day, I immediately thought of of my son, John, just because I think there aren't a lot of radio shows I can remember listening to with a father-son relationship in horror. Right. I mean, there's relationships with children, and usually they're little and scary. (laughs) There's also a lot of father-daughter stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if there is, it's usually like a bad father who abandoned me or is evil. And here it is about a loving relationship. The conflict comes from elsewhere, right. not their relationship. I go, I've go. i been going back and forth on this episode. There are times when I'm listening to it, I go, oh, this is great. And there are times like, ah, here's one of the things that I can't quite decide if I like or hate. It is very basic. It's just people talking. There's not a lot of foley. There's not a lot of production value. It's two people in a room just having a conversation. That's 90% of it. Brilliantly written is what saves that because that could really kill uh, a radio drama if it's not great to listen to and really well written. But then I think it, it can get a little slow, even though maybe. One of the things I think is brilliant about this particular episode, and it took me a second listening to figure it out, is... They don't leave the room because the narrator is there and he's stuck in a wheelchair and he never leaves that room. Right. And we never leave the narrator. Right. Most writers would put that right at the top. Mm-hmm. They'd find some way to force in the exposition that I've been sitting here in a wheelchair. We're more than halfway through before he mentions that he had a stroke and he can't get yep. up to turn on the light. And even mm-hmm. that, you're like, hmm, maybe he's just sore. A lazy or stroke victim? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> But it's not till the very end that he says, wow, now that I've changed to this Great Dane, <laughs> right. I can get out of the wheelchair. Yeah, I think that's the sweetest Hallmark moment. <laughs> <laughs> the best Father's Day gift you can give. It is a very, very slow developing story. You get it piece by piece, and I think there's a lot of build-up, suspense, beauty in that. And there's also, I think you kind of nailed it by accident at the top. What do you mean he's aware of? Oh, wait, he's a vampire? Like, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, what's was, going on I now? I was doing my imitation of what I imagined you yeah. doing, oh, yeah. listening to it. <laughs> uh, that's the path I went. And it's so totally weird, because it's, it's brave, I think, to do this sort of tone, tone shift of just, we're going to throw in Dracula, like, by name, Dracula, right. in the middle of this, that it certainly jarred me. I'm like, What? Yeah. Which I liked, but on the other hand, it also, for me, was a little like saying Taylor Swift. I mean, it was just <laughs> a weird pop icon name. To have just... you read Dracula? You know that there's a lot of differences between... Have you, you seen Taylor, Taylor Swift? Swift? Yeah. Oh, you're right. <laughs> I set you up for that one. Yes. <laughs> but th- th- he's right in the sense of, My first thought was, ooh, th- th- that's got to be a rights infringement. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I was hesitating to not have such a ridiculously outdated... <laughs> you know, like Mike Douglas. <laughs> what? <laughs> Mike Douglas. <laughs> Why would I say that? So John old... Davidson, you know, something really popular. <laughs> What's funny is that's the only contemporary 
thing I can say that my daughter would know. Taylor Swift. So I call everybody I hear on the radio, every new person. I go, is that Taylor Swift? Because it's the only one I can name. So Our apologies to Taylor Swift. I hope she listens to this. That would, that would make the last five years completely worth it. Taylor Swift listens to our radio podcast. We do appreciate all the listeners who aren't Taylor Swift. Let's just be really clear sure. about that. <laughs> Please email. <laughs> but just she's every a, time she's a singer, right? <laughs> okay. Every time the name came up, it sort of was jarring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think is part of the purpose. One thing I connected that to, and I will back up and admit that I possibly overanalyzed some of the Quiet Please scripts just because so many of them have been so fruitful when I analyzed them. <laughs> so I could be overanalyzing it, but it's interesting that most of his scripts usually take the time to go into arcane detail and world building and that kind of authenticating detail, whether it be about archaeology and Freemasons and whence came you or oil rigs and the thing in the formal board. But here, not only does he just count on saying Dracula so you know all the vampire tropes he's going to use, mm-hmm. but he also is very, for Willis Cooper, hand-wavy about the incantations that bring him back. I really liked that. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it it made it seem more real. Mm-hmm. But it struck me as so different from what he usually does that I also read into it authorial intent, like yeah. you're saying. Whether it works or not uh, for the individual listeners, a different story, but I think it was intentional on his part. And I will say, I, I was just gleeful to get to like, we've just backed into a vampire story. I didn't see this coming. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's an interesting piece of writing uh, where he says... It was a very simple thing to do. So simple that, no, I shall not tell you. And I thought, well, why, why are you running out of time? You know me. <laughs> just, like, I want to do this. I immediately go to, oh, come on, tell me how you did it. <laughs> what if I had a dead son? Yeah, right. <laughs> Think of somebody else. <laughs> that at first comes across as lazy. Well, fine, you're not well, going to write that. But he gives a narrative reason. Is right, in, exactly. He, he doesn't want to share it. Right. Because it's possibly dangerous. Yes. Well, and as he describes uh, I said the certain words, held my hands a certain way. It's enough of a general description of what's going on that you can kind of fill it in with your own version of what that would be. Which is what we've discussed many times on this podcast. If you know how to write this stuff, then the listener is allowed to make their own choices and create their own work, and they don't have to do any work. And that's exactly right. We can picture that because of how this is presented and written. Um, you can fail at that, too. And you be like, please hit me over the head with a hammer and tell me what's going on here, because writing-wise, you're not pulling that off. And part of that works because you are just sitting in a room with this guy, so you don't have a lot of other sensory Input. I mean, we're not moving from scene to scene for you to have to keep catching up. Uh, to unpack the Shakespeare quote at the top, because it yeah. Yeah. happens to actually be a play I really, really like. Mm-hmm. Do you guys know it? Am I just talking for listeners' benefit? Because, you know, listeners. The, the play. I probably <laughs> don't know it in the detail you do. In the specific context, uh, Hotspur, the character who is... It's a conversation between him and an ally, and this ally claims all this mystical power. I can summon spirits. Mm-hmm. I was born under special stars. And Hotspur is this as his name kind of implies, hotshot young general, military guy, who uh, everyone likes because he's super charismatic and he's giving guff to this guy who says, I can call on spirits. But it is interesting because Hotspur, he is a character very much in a father-son uh, relationship. Of, he is sort of looked upon as King Henry IV as 
the son I wish I had. He's mm-hmm. the guy I wish was in charge, as opposed to his own son Hal, who becomes Henry V and is turns out to be this great, glorious guy who ultimately defeats Hotspur. I don't know how valuable this is to anyone who's listening, but it's just it's neat, and I really liked it. Well, it's on purpose for sure, yeah. especially with Cooper. I also love that line. You know, I can summon space. Me too, but... Is that the answer? <laughs> right. We can all do that. <laughs> and then the father's line of, they come when I call. It's a great opening yeah. line. Yeah. He, not only does Cooper usually stick the ending, he usually sticks, like, the, the liftoff. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> it's a, really got a fairy tale quality to it. I, this reminded me of listening, or reading, I should say, an original Grimm's fairy tale. Mm. Back when Rumpelstiltskin pounded his feet into the ground until he tore his legs off, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> that kind of Grimm's fairy tale. It has that quality to it, though. It's the idea of wishing for something that you shouldn't wish for and a coming back and the consequences of that. Also, the idea of talking animals. And when you hear or read a fairy tale, it's up to you to decide. Like, how are these animals talking? What I love about this is that we don't get to decide, and they just sound normal. And that's, did you picture their little wolf lips moving? (laughs) (laughs) Now I am. (laughs) But they didn't do it like, like they half bark, half growl, you know what I mean? They just talk. Like Scooby-Doo. So I really loved that part of it well and the the reveal of that of i don't whoever the actor was playing the son ernest chapel is always fantastic but the son too had this really great dry it's ephemeral about his actual mood Mm -hmm. is just kind of you should have done this i don't like it that tone but to insist on we're gonna keep the lights out you're not gonna be able to see me for a while Mm-hmm. It made it scarier if he had played it as this menacing figure. Don't turn out the light or on the lights, Dad. That would kind of kill it. That would have been. He calmly said, "Leave the lights right off." And that would have been as a director the way I would have pushed it. Be scary, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's an interesting thing how that works. The philosophy in my head that makes when I do it right is, it's scary in the line. You don't need to put Correct. scary in it. Yeah, right. If it's written well, then just do it right. Yeah. It's exactly what we're getting back to. This is written really well. Yeah. So if you have a line like, pass the mustard, then you should be like, pass the right. mustard, because yes. that's where the creep Right, <laughs> right. You should I understand always... acting. Tell <laughs> <laughs> you should always ask for mustard. Uh, speaking of the great writing, I think this is my favorite line in the whole thing my wife who had died and left me with the taste of ashes in my mouth. Oh, yeah. Descriptive and beautiful and beyond what you normally get in the radio drama <laughs> of the time. My wife who had died and left me with the taste of ashes in my mouth is much more uh, impactful than, oh, plot point, my wife's dead. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing I really like that's going on a little bit underneath here, and perhaps part of the reason that Cooper decided not to create a bunch of his own vampire mythology and to wave his hand at the spells and things is he's saving room to really build this relational stuff between father and son and Mm -hmm. that's where he uses the the bulk of his time and it creates this weird dual seemingly contradictory theme that works well together of abandonment and summoning because he Mm. keeps going over and over again at the top about he could deny his son nothing 
Yeah, um, and that the yeah. son could not deny being and called. And the son yeah. could not deny him. But in the denial, there's all these times where everyone's the mother died, so she abandoned them. Uh, the father withdrew from his life and abandoned his business and his friends, and yeah. eventually the son and abandoned refused to him. look at how he died, refused to yeah. know anything about the details. Yeah, and so, but all that feels like these familial relationships, but then it also has this connection to magic and the power of when you can summon something and who can be denied and who can't be. Like he could that deny was... the voice of the other uh, mystical the medium, woman, yeah, the... the medium, but he could not deny his father. And so this combination of magic and being a parent and the power. The details of how he died and what happened to his body in that moment of, I need this in order to, to channel his spirit, seems kind of arbitrary, but pays off later as far as you should have known that. And I like how she, without saying it, you can hear in her performance and somewhat in the script that she realizes what has happened, why she can't summon him. You know, mm. it isn't said, oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> but Or is it after the fact? Because I think part of what Tim's saying, uh, yeah. too, is that had she known the details of his death, she may not have yeah. I think given she's him. Sus- I think she suspects it, though. I think that's what I get from it. She says, okay, I think I know what's going or on be here. a diagnostic. If I can't call this guy, is, and you don't is there know. a chance that maybe he's a vampire? Right. Or his phone's <laughs> off the hook. <laughs> The coffin bell isn't working. <laughs> it's it's rare for me to enjoy a slow burn. Get to the point, get to the point, you know me. More things, smashing up things, you know, whatever. If you do it right, I'm on board. And the slow burn of information about what happened to his son. And then I was walking and I, I, a couple days and then a, this dog attacked me. And, oh, and, yeah. And then, oh, 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 and it's just slowly being pieced together, slowly, slowly, slowly. And I think you're supposed to assume he's a werewolf at that point. Correct. I think the vampire yeah. is a, That's a what I went with. twist and trick, because I was like, what? <laughs> right, either that or uh, Frankenstein. No? Okay. No. <laughs> Did not. No, I no. Or the Invisible Man. You just went down the list, yeah. right? <laughs> Creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> yes. He's a King Kong. <laughs> a King Kong. Yes. Uh Again, what this has proven to me is that because he can write so well, you can get away with two people in a room talking, uh, not a lot of Foley, uh, slow development. Uh, You can get away with a lot of stuff that people can't get away with (laughs) because he can write well. And in the wrong hands, this is super boring. That's what I take from this and what I find so fascinating is that on paper, I should not like this. (laughs) As Wills Cooper is able to set up these stakes that are a little ephemeral, but really palpable. Like, this is important, what's Mm -hmm. happening with his relationship. I like this character. I'm invested in what he feels, and he Mm -hmm. feels these high stakes. So, yeah, it works. Yeah. The whole show from the very beginning, from the intro, from the quiet, please, (laughs) sets this intentional mood. Mm -hmm. It sets the pacing. You know, if it opened, you know, quiet please, and, you know, orchestra and everything like that. And then I was just like, hi, I'm Ernest Chap. Right. But there's nothing, not even forable board. I can't think of a quiet please that is fast paced. It all no. follows its yeah. intro. Even when, you know, the flowers are coming to life and you're falling in love with them, you know. Yes. See other podcast <laughs> listeners. But even that is slow and deliberate. And so the, the intro does prepare you for the pace of how he's going to 
take you on his story journey. I just said story journey. <laughs> I hate myself right now. Speaking of other story journeys, uh, <laughs> I felt like there were a lot of nods to the monkey's paw in this. Yeah, Very yeah. similar idea about bringing a child back to life and the danger of it and be careful what you wish for. Even the really nice creepy detail that the son cannot take his human form again after he's been called by his father but says that's probably good you probably wouldn't have liked it right. so what did he look like what was that form that was so that's what made me think of the monkey's paw i looked up silly ham by the way that's the dog he became at the end oh it's a like silly. a terrier it's yeah a terrier. You, you knew it no i'd never heard that word in my life silly ham that's thought that was gluten intolerance. Yes, yeah. right. <laughs> it's tofu ham. Uh, no, nah, it's a dog. It's Just an innocuous little It's a dog. It's not a word we dog. use anymore, is it? Yeah, I wonder if it was just the type of dog that Willis Cooper had. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it seems a strange choice right there. Because exactly. It may have been the only dog they could hire that could speak well. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this Doberman looks the part, but he's just terrible, terrible. vocally. <laughs> I love you. I love you. <laughs> Why did you summon me? Next. <laughs> Someone give me a dog in here. I can talk. Um, that's pretty much all I got. Any other final thoughts, gentlemen, on this? I also think there's something very interesting in the end about happiness. Because he tells his son a little earlier on that I'll do everything I can to make you happy and his son says did you think I wasn't happy right and then oh, yeah. we move into this whole story of how he hunts and kills people which freaks out the dad enough to consider Kill killing him. him I think it says the ending says a lot about unconditional love to a point of I'm not 100% sure that level actually exists in reality but it certainly does in fiction there's an unconditional love well, if I get to be with my kid, then I love him that much. I love a lot of people really a lot, <laughs> but I have a hard time believing that in that situation, be like, yep, sure, let's go that route. That's like often he- a structure of you have a character that you sympathize with and you understand them, and they go down a path and go down a path that you sort of like, yeah, I see that, I see that, and the end is they take that one step past where you can go with them. And I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's the end of their story. It's one part of the story where I can't decide if it's in. Again, I keep using the word intentional here with the script, but if he means for us to not know for sure how the father feels there in those last moments before he becomes a vampire, or if it's just a weakness, because essentially what happens is his son figures out that he's going to do him in, kills the medium, Mm -hmm. and he kind of really has no choice. There's one way of viewing it that way. So we never get to know. And I'm wondering, do you think that's... Intentional on his part to never really know where that decision came from. Did he really change his mind out of this unconditional undi- un- love, undying yeah. love, or this was really... he always half-hearted about that? Was yeah, he, he always hoping manufacture a scenario he, where this he's was literally talking in front of his right. sleeping dog son? <laughs> so <laughs> he, he couldn't have wanted him not to hear. I think it was because he found it impossible to kill that cute little silly ham. <laughs> <laughs> What are you going to do, choke it? (laughs) I love the little casual reference because the medium says, oh, I know about vampires. I'll be fine. And his son's just like, I turned into a grizzly bear and (laughs) tore her apart. (laughs) Turns out she didn't know about vampires. Isn't that what he said? Something Something along those lines. It's a nice little moment. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, faced with that moment, I would say that I would 
definitely become a vampire for you, Tim, not you, Josh. Oh, <laughs> that seems reasonable. <laughs> I would maul a psychic for you. <laughs> I just want you to know where we all stand sure, good. in case would... this comes up. So there's no doubt at that point where you're yeah. like, wow, really? No, I told you years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you even coming to me? <laughs> we literally recorded it. <laughs> <laughs> play it back for you. I will not become a vampire for you. That's fair. All right. Vital vote, Tim. If it were not fighting just itself, I'd say, this is a classic. This is an amazing classic thing in the category of just quiet, please. Right. This is an excellent example of it. I don't know if it is the quiet, please, I would put out there for the first one you must listen to. I'll say a qualified classic. Yeah. I'm going to say the exact same thing. I cannot help but just judge this against other quiet, please. I will say, uh, out of all the quiet, please, I've heard, this is... Ah, just as good as all of them. <laughs> you know, it's, it's great. And so, yeah, qualified classic, absolutely. Bravo. Yeah, it obviously stands the test of time. It's Quiet Please, like we keep saying. I mean, I think one of the things that happened with Quiet Please is we just jumped in and tore through the very best Quiet Please. <laughs> yeah. And, and on the, the top best of Quiet show. Please are some of the best ever radio dramas ever. Best stories, yeah. Yeah. They're phenomenal. So this is not a classic of Quiet, Please, but that's just because the classics of Quiet, Please are amazing. But this is definitely one of my favorites. All right, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes of the podcast there. It's a great place also to get a hold of us. You can uh, leave comments on episodes, uh, respond to other people's comments. You can find links to our social media, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you can just also just send us a message if you have episodes you'd like us to listen to that we have not yet, which if we have, we'll let you know. <laughs> you can also go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. Become a member of the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. We really appreciate that. Uh, we've got rewards there. Go check them out. You can also go to iTunes and write a review. Let us know... Uh, what you think of the podcast? Let us know who you'd become a vampire for. <laughs> That's totally cool, too. <laughs> but, uh, thank you for listening. All right, coming up next, what we, are we doing? We have a listener request, and we're going to be diving into an episode of Inner Sanctum called Till Death Do Us Part. Until then... Look out! Come in. Come in. Hello, Father. People, let me tell you about my best friend. He's a warm-hearted person who loves me till the end. People, let me tell you about my best friend.